The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're very lucky to have with us Gabriel Axel Montez, who's the founder of Neural Axis. He's right at the intersection where technology meets the brain. Gabriel, welcome. Hi, Hacky. Pleasure to be here again. Yeah, why don't you give yourself a proper introduction and tell our audience what you do? I'm trying to still figure it out. You know, it's one of those, <laughs> honestly, it's one of those things that in retrospect, you can tell a story. And and on the other hand, in, in, as it's unfolding, it's like, wow, how how did I... How did I end up here? You know, and it's all just uh, interesting narratives and monkey chatter. So I'll take my stab, my current stab at it. I could change any time, right? Is that, yeah, basically I have a background in neuroscience. Um, did my master's, my PhD, toured around the world, um, different institutions for those degrees, uh, ne- Netherlands, US, Australia, and continue to, you know, go around the world for an academic circuits presenting at conferences. So um, as far as uh, Hong Kong, Kazakhstan, um, Stanford University, uh, so on and so forth, Harvard. And it's it just, it, it's, it's a fun, it's a fun, you know, garland <laughs> of different uh, beads strung together, I'd guess. So I did my PhD. And before that started, in between my master's and my PhD, I took some time off. I just felt a calling to explore the mind from the inside. I always felt that I'm trying to understand the brain from the perspective of a laboratory or the objective view of the brain um, and the Western uh, sort of uh, fusion, um, uh, the way we attach the brain and the mind as being kind of linked always and synonymous. I felt that that was a potential limiter in in getting a more uh, comprehensive wider ranging understanding so i decided to explore the mind from the inside and that started from just some spontaneous experiences i had in my mid to late teens actually um that that's why i decided to study the brain and study anthropology in the first place and then through you know academia i realized well i I need to really dedicate some time to study this from the inside so i took up various like forms of mind hacking practices. Uh, so everything from different Hindu yogas, Tibetan yogas, Taoist practices, shamanic things, um, good old meditation from different traditions, Qigong, etc. And I basically tried to piece together all this. And I was really fortunate to have some great teachers um, um, cross paths with me. And um, I always loved integrative approaches. So approaches that are able to view things from multiple perspectives at once that eschew and sort of um, let go of sort of the embellishments that a lot of practices often come with when you read them out of textbooks and so on and in the way they're mostly taught and just look at really the core technique underlying something. What is the transformation of consciousness under um, underpinning a particular practice? And that's what I wanted to get to the core of. And then, you know, Basically, that that sort of caused a, a fusion of neuroscience with an interest in consciousness, 
non-ordinary consciousness. So what happens in these exotic states of consciousness. Um, and then after that started unfolding, I got into technology. So artificial intelligence, uh, blockchain, virtual reality. Um, I did, um, I worked in Hong Kong for a little while and we were in a lab where we had to lead the master students in a, a program in design, masters of design to basically deliver their capstone projects in virtual reality and create virtual reality experiences. And interesting, this was right when the pandemic hit. Um, I was in Hong Kong in 2020 when the pandemic hit and the protests were going on. Um, some interesting stories from, from, that, from that time, for sure. And so that was the VR bit. I've worked in um, with companies that are engaged in blockchain. So I have a big interest in how to fuse all these technologies with consciousness, neuroscience, well-being. And one of the other last things before I pause is how to leverage all these things to solve collective issues and problems. You know, complex issues such as climate change, poverty, um, fragmentation of perspectives that occur around the world. How do we get together as a human race to solve big problems? I'm curious about those questions. So your recent trip to China had some interesting timing. Huh? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it was it was incredible. Hong Kong is is a, is a really incredible place. You feel like you're at this amazing intersection between East and West. And there's of course a big history there, um, different perspectives and all that. Um, when I was there, the pandemic in Wuhan had just broken out and and um you know we went to florida for a little bit thinking it'd be a little bit better but florida ended up being a little bit you know more tumultuous in the near term and then um hong kong uh eventually got better again so it was it was weird how different countries different societies handle that and with the protests um my wife and i were actually walking home trying to get home at one point we were just out for the evening shopping eating we were in a building and there was tear gas outside and I tried going outside to see if it was possible to wade through this and get home. And I just, you know, you can't really breathe in this stuff. It's, <laughs> it's not, I mean, you, you can make it through, but uh, if you have any respiratory issues, you know, don't count on it. So, and I was with my wife anyway. So we waited hours and finally a, a local couple uh, offered to escort us home. And we, you know, what normally would take a, a 10 minute journey, 15 minute journey to, to get home took us 40 minutes as we circuitously found our way through the city. And there was one point and the rubble, by the way, you know, burnt cars, subway, metro stations all on fire. And on yeah. on the right side of us were police officers pointing lasers and they're equipped, equipped with shields pointing lasers to the other side of us. And on the other side of us were the dissidents and protesters. And we were going through this like parting of the Red Seas moment. And we were like, are we gonna, you know, you, you, we felt right on the edge of like, you know, th this could be a final moment on the planet um, for us. And fortunately, um, you know, we, we went through. Um, I would say that the, the clash between police and uh, protesters in Hong Kong is, is much uh, calmer than it is in the United States from what we've seen here in the past few years. 
So fortunately, we made it home, and that was quite a memorable experience. <laughs> now, your work, uh, especially during these COVID times where it seems like everything is on steroids, where you want people to work together and collaborate and utilize technology. Tell us about your work related to productivity and collaboration. Mm. So technology, just as a sort of preface to this is, and context, is technology, the way it's turned out today is very much in a way that is couched within this system that prizes innovation and profit sort of at all costs. So what this leads to, for better and worse in many ways, is um, siloing of approaches. And people try to find a way to kind of corner the market in their favor, different companies. And so you'll get the result of this is a lot of people, a lot of companies forming and doing this at the same time across the world, uh, predominantly though the West, where this mentality is really championed. And um, you get this very incoherent landscape of techn technology and people adopting different products. It's kind of like this sort of bizarre marketplace um, kind of thrown upon consumers. And technology in that mode can't act in a cohesive way that allows for synchronization of various human actors, of humanity together to solve big problems that are affecting us now because we've been a global village or a, a globalized society for a little bit a little while now already you know with the internet and its advancement and so on and the globalization of the economy etc and global finance so we're all interconnected our actions really do have butterfly effects just look at you know supply chain issues when a when a ship a vessel gets stuck in in, in a particular canal somewhere so Technology is quite fragmented and it's not going to keep serving us that way for much longer. There is something that needs to happen that is more deeply connected to the summoning the ability to collaborate in people consciously, meaning being very mindful and to not fall into traps of tribalism and egoism. So tribalism is even just a subtle tendency to that's in everyone to sort of pit us versus them or i will only work with the people that agree with me on some basic values a lot of these things happen very unconsciously in the human brain the limbic system uh, the reptilian you know brain so to speak um these things need to be looked at examined and really um healed honestly and let the mind be in service of the heart so I've learned a lot about this in the past couple of years. I've been involved with an organization called World System Solutions that is basically um, facilitating others and organizations in particular around solving global issues, particularly climate change, um, because it's sort of the, the one that most people can kind of feel and connect to um, in the zeitgeist currently, though ultimately it's really about addressing all global challenges and that's climate change is all all these things that are fundamentally rooted in psychological malaise 
of tribalism and egoism that prevent conscious collaboration to do something for the greater good together. So psychologically, doing that in organizations, being productive while doing that, finding out how to work in a capitalist system to achieve those things is is is, is a challenge, and it's it's an it's an amazing challenge because it involves a lot of reflection at who we are as a species, who we are individually, and then you know being compassionate with one another as we grow grow together and facilitate each other. How do you see the way we're going to use technology over the next five years? Like, take us into the future from your unique perspective on technology. So the biggest thing right now is Web 3.0. So we have been working in Web 1.0, Web 2.0. So we went from, you know, think Web 1.0 is like Windows 95 era, right? Like these terminal PCs with, uh, you know, documents on a screen and you, you type and move your mouse around. Web 2 is sort of the interfaces we have today, which is the, the basically scroll, drag and click on the mobile phone, uh, being able to pay things with Apple Pay, with WhatsApp, with WeChat in China, um, and so on. And Web 3.0 is the spatialization of all that as emerging technologies come together. So we're talking about augmented and virtual reality. Just imagining your world when Apple and various other companies release augmented reality enabled glasses. We already see some prototypes of this with you know, Amazon's uh, prototype glasses. We saw Google Glass some years ago. Augmented reality, robotics, artificial intelligence proliferating beyond where it is now, um, blockchain, internet of things. So smart devices, refrigerators, cars, and so on. So-called smart, right? Um, and blockchain, which is a big deal right now as well as these, these ledgers, this immutable ledger um, that can track transactions in a pseudonymous way. Um, you can use that to cut out a lot of middle men in any transaction basically and just have a, a, a sort of a single source of truth for anything that's happening looking at the past making contracts for the future enforceable and so so to speak so what happens when all these things come together you get something you call the spatial web so dan mapes and gabriel renee wrote a great book on this um, called the spatial web um, which describes what happens when all these things come together you get this sort of world where Everything is spatialized. You have contracts, governance. Um, you know, you can do this in retail. You can do this in supply chain, in just your general environment. You know, accessing your autonomous vehicles, vehicles communicating on the street with buildings, with pedestrians, um, access, authentication, and so on. So this is the this is the future. In the past, we've had these protocols like HTTP hypertext transfer protocol that allow us to view documents on our on our computer well in the future you'll have something else and there's actually an ieee protocol uh ieee is the standards body technical standards body there's a new protocol called hyperspace transaction uh protocol and that's for the management of this spatialized web essentially um it's gonna keep unfolding you know there's already companies experimenting with this um once augmented reality really kicks in, we're going to see this kind of, you know, go hockey stick. So that's 
happening. There's also something else which is related, though a dip of a different nature is just Web3, not really Web3.0 in the way I described Web1, 2, 3.0, but Web3 is kind of the what we saw with cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, all these all these um, blockchains and that became currency, you know, cryptocurrencies. There is a whole world where people are experimenting with different new forms of human organization and governance using uh, the blockchain and these cryptocurrencies. Um, all this stuff will be, you know, integratable with the spatial web as I just described it. That said, there's a mini movement taking on its own because people can feel more, like they can more democratically self-organize. It's sort of a way of, it's kind of like a, um, it's almost like a hyper version of capitalism in a sense, because it's all digitized and all very fast and very automated. And, you know, there's a financialization of everything. And at the same time, people are looking for new, creating new structures to self-organize. And that leads to questioning of traditional hierarchical corporate structures. So you get kind of this democratization, social, kind of a socialistic sort of um, way of organizing. So these are all great developments. What I will add to, add to tie this back to what we mentioned about collaboration is that all this is still occurring in a fragmented way. There is no real global governance, and I don't mean global authority in some sort of authoritarian sense. I mean, there is no way to coherently make decisions together. No, it's what we're finding in, in neurodiversity. Everybody's in their different silos, and it's not coming together because everyone's in their own little silo. And I think that's what you might be describing. Am I wrong or is that what you're saying? Interestingly, I mean, every brain is different. You know, you can, you can intersectionalize, intersectionalize every brain type down to the level of the individual. And it's in a way, it's always technically been that way. We just didn't really honor it and allow it to sort of come out as a society in, in the way that it is now, which is great. So in a sense, even our individual brains are siloed um, by their nature, you know, by the way that everyone is neurodiverse, which is a beautiful thing and creates this tapestry that we all uh, can leverage and take advantage of for our collective benefit. And at the same time, you could have a Tower of Babel issue, right? Where it's hard to communicate and how do we communicate? I mean, this exists with language period, right? Um, and it exists with brains just fundamentally. And just now with our world complexifying with the creation of mimetic microcultures on social media and that on top of, you know, differences in upbringing, genetics, social environments, um, cultures that already this is proliferating uh so it's becoming more complex so yes that's there it's it's the communication and coordination and synchronization of among different agents and actors in a system is is a challenge so we're still missing that and um thankfully there's work being done towards this the world system solutions is doing some work creating something called a social movement engine which allows the government the governance of various stakeholders across the globe to be able to make the most optimal decisions for the benefit of the collective in terms of global challenges like climate change. And then you have, you know, the Spatial Web Foundation, which is a sort of nonprofit body looking to say, okay, how, when everything is measured and on the blockchain and 
technologized. How are we going to make this stuff work together without getting people stuck in it or falling through the cracks? I firmly feel, uh, well, firmly may not be the right word. I, I would say that I've, I've just observed and I've more conviction has been gathering around that we need a new way of cognizing or a new way of sensing, perceiving, interacting, relating, being in rapport with one another. Um, that is going to require healing and, and, and operating from the heart, not just from the mind and letting ourselves kind of resolve our traumas on a day-to-day basis with openness and compassion towards others um, and not setting too many goalposts and moving targets for people to satisfy our, our, our individual and tribal wishes for acceptance. Tell us a bit about neural print. So neural print is basically authentication as a service for Web3 or Web3.0 based upon the mind and the brain. So the value proposition here is, can you unlock access to the physical and digital world? You could call it the, the, the fidgetal, if you, if you will. Unlock access to things using your mind and your brain. So this would entail, for example, uh, Hacky, do you have an electric autonomous vehicle? Well, if you do, is that vehicle yours? So that would be an authentication of your identity, right? It would be like, is this Hacky trying to access this vehicle? Okay, yes, it is. Hacky can enter the vehicle. Now, is Hacky inebriated? <laughs> if he is, he's not in the right state of mind to be driving his vehicle, and therefore, Hacky will have to enable self-driving, autonomous driving mode, or have a friend drive him because otherwise he'll be, you know, in the, in, in the, out of the range of what's legal, right? At the very least. And then safety, of course. So there's identity and there's state of mind. Are you in the right state of mind to access something? So Neuroprint is creating a technology to be able to enable this. We already have a minimum viable product that's a neuropsychological assessment um, that is about six minutes in length based upon 100 years of neuroscience. So this is just something that's used in a, um, it's already being used by clinics, uh, neuropsychological clinics. Um, and it's an online test that someone can take and it gives you a sense of your cognitive style. Hundreds of data points on an individual. That's the beginning. And then we're doing work on integrating this with biometrics. So to help grasp your, your present state of mind to be able to authenticate things. The reason for this is that current authentication mechanisms are very static. So your passwords, you can lose them. They're just this clunky thing you have to remember. We have a password problem. Let's acknowledge that <laughs> passwords. I mean, I forget my password at least once, once every 10 days or something. So because I have too, just too many things to log into, right? Um, and of course, there's these things like KeyPass that allow you to store all your passwords in one place. But the spatial web and Web3 with blockchain and everything are going to, there's going to be many things that in order to access it, we want to know a bit more about your qualifications to access it. You know, Can you imagine one day 
pre-qualifying for a golf tournament based upon the command, okay, close your eyes and imagine your perfect golf swing. <laughs> so, you know, that might not get you the full qualifications to the PGA, but you can maybe pre-qualify in some kind of round or something. So this sort of thing is what's possible. Then the, this is because the nature of the brain is dynamic. It's not static. We're not only neurodiverse in space, meaning like there's an individual and that individual is different from the next individual. So there's diversity there from person to person. There's also diversity across time. I'm not who I was when we last spoke three years ago. I mean, some cells may still be the same, though their metabolism has certainly changed. So, you know, and the stories we tell ourselves as we evolve is, is, is changing. So our states of mind, their skills, everything. The dynamic nature of the brain and mind is something that is missing and in views of, of, you know, how, how to, how to measure things happening in the mind and brain, even neuroscience tries to take these static images. So we want both. We want both. We want the thing that, uh, that tries to be a little static to get an overall view of the person. And we want the dynamic. So that's the essence of neural print, neural print. There you go. It's a fingerprint for your brain, neural print. So that's in development now. Um, it's myself and my co-founder, uh, Taylor Kuhn, Kuhn, sorry. He's a good friend of mine, also a PhD in neuroscience, um, neuropsychologist, clinical. So, you know, we've, we've got a good founding team. So we'll, well see how it all goes. That's a, a segue into well-being 2.0. It is, right. Well-being well 2.0. So current, and this all ties, we can see how this all ties later into the global challenges and needs for collaboration later. So well-being 2.0. So currently, well-being is basically mindfulness meditation and some openness to altered states of consciousness through psychedelics, right? That's starting to come in right now. What I call well-being 2.0 or, or next wave well-being is targeting specific states of mind, desired states of mind, and specific functions of consciousness and attention, and transforming those and enhancing and expanding those rather than kind of a generic, let's just relax and sit and breathe, which is very helpful. That's a great foundation. Indeed, it is. Helps many people. And what is known about consciousness, historically and prehistorically, in terms of what is possible, is barely, 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 just like one star in a galaxy of stars represented by what is well-being and wellness today. Um, if you look through all the wisdom traditions, even just a few, you find an arcana of practices that are, of course, um, you know, embellished in the cultural accoutrements of, of, of the era in which they were produced, for sure. That being said, there's an underlying thread of technique in each of these things, and that can be applied in modern con context. So the idea is what I call precision consciousness. There's a term. Like, you know, you talk about precision medicine, precision consciousness is doing for consciousness what precision genomics, precision medicine did for medicine. 
right? It's getting particular, it's personalizing, it's targeting, it's tailoring. And then turning these things into micro forms that are very directed and then stringing them together so that a person's individual neurodiverse acknowledging path will be honored in this way. And so that's where um, the concept of what I call Pathform came from. So Pathform is basically, I'm a founder of, of Pathform. It's basically specifically focused on this precision consciousness, delivering micro practices that are stripped down versions of what is in the great wisdom traditions and syncretic or combined versions of these practices. So Pathform is going to basically also inform some of the states of mind training that will have to go into neuroprint because neuroprint is going to have, you know, you, 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 you can't rely on authenticating yourself based only on how you feel on a given day. You know, you also need to kind of be a little bit versed in the state of mind you're, you're trying to get into. So platform is mostly focused on this well-being 2.0 piece. So what we're doing is we're building a platform and content for people to be accessing these, accessing these techniques, have a profile, they can see where they naturally tend to go, and then we'll embed AI into this, artificial intelligence, machine learning techniques that will basically allow people to discover their own path through different practices and string together the practices that works for them. Is there anything we have not covered that you'd like to cover today? I think we're going to have to have subsequent interviews because you are a universal person and you're of the universe and uh, I salute you. But Thank is you. anything any anything else today you'd like to talk about or I'm sure we'll be having more interviews with you. Yeah. You know something I'd like to mention is um so I'm a father now. Oh congratulations. Thank what you. Saying yeah. Tell I have a um, little, little I have a two I have a two almost a two year old about, you know, 20 months now. And um, he's incredible. Um, uh, it's such a different element of life. He's my first son, our first son, um, our first child. And it's a wonder to watch him unfold. His soul, his emotions, his cognition. You know, I, you could study all the neuroscience in the world all the medicine, all the, but then watching a human being become their own self and discover things is, is beautiful. You know, I mean, um, it's such an enhancement to life. It changes the dynamic of, of life and it's just an extra gift. And yeah. And I love, I love, I love bringing that up because it brings up so, so much mystery you get a sense from talking from talking with me about all my projects that I've got this handle on all these different things. I mean, in reality, life is is nonlinear, linear, you know. But raising a child is really nonlinear, <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because I could just get right to it. I can't pretend otherwise. Every day is different. It's it's a mystery. Um, what is your child's name? Sebastian. Oh, cool name. Yeah. Sebastian's keeping you on your toes. Keeping me on our toes, keeping both of us on our toes. Yes. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm also very nomadic. So I love traveling, you know, um, I lived in Alaska last year. We lived in Alaska. That's a gorgeous place. Uh, I got to say, 
being around glaciers where the water is frozen inside water that's 10,000 years old, basically. Well, older, really, because the water is always flowing around before it's ice. But it's been there for 10,000 years, give or take, right? As I understand. And just being around that in a different ecosystem, depending on where you are on the planet, it evokes different things in you and you grow differently. And, you know, then you, you pass your birthday on a different place on the planet and it just, it feels incredible to reflect on life in that way. So I'm really grateful that, you know, I've been able to live in Australia, Alaska, Hong Kong, and it's not just travel lust or wanderlust for me. It's really, it's just kind of one of those things that's like a, I was born with that engine already kind of running, if you know, so I just kind of riding the wave a little bit. It's just part of the flow, a little bit of a nomadic lifestyle. So I've picked up a lot along the way from these places and, um, yeah, I hope people get to do their healthy, you know, form of traveling as, as things open up again. Uh, where can our audience learn more about you and your work? So the best place to learn more about me in general is, you know, so Twitter is a, is a pretty decent place. You know, my handle is Gabriel Axel. Um, and then there's a link there to my website and everything. My website is is a fine central source of things. It's, um, it's neuralaxis.org or gabrielaxel.com. So neuralaxis.org or gabrielaxel.com. And then there's a way for there for people to reach me. So a lot of this, you know, well-being 2.0 stuff, um, you know, there's some stuff on my website about it. You know, I teach courses on some of this stuff for people. Um, I don't advertise it very much. It's not my, you know, the only thing I do. That said, it's it's some really good stuff. Um, it's helped me and a lot of other people in incredible ways to open up dimensions of their being. So, yeah, I do a bit of that. So the website is good. Twitter is good. If you want to keep an eye on the band that we talked about, that's the Jam Galaxy. So jamgalaxy.com, um, the YouTube channel. Is where the videos are going to be posted. There's already the one performance. There'll be more coming. So yeah, keep an eye out on on those those outlets. Well, Gabriel Axel Montez, thank you very very much. It's been a pleasure. You're a universal man. I've learned a lot today. I'm sure our audience have, and we'll be sure to have you back soon. Thanks again for being with us again. Thanks so much. Thank you, Hacky. It's always a pleasure. Looking forward to the ongoing conversation. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.